Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to yet another episode of Stay Curious, a podcast where we want to encourage diversity in thought without creating division in community, and where we want to provide a time and a space for you to remember how to think, but not tell you what you should think. I am your co-host, Matt Fisher. Um, I'm the creative director at Hill City Church, where we used to record this podcast, Um, and I am here with my co-host, pastor of that same church, in his kitchen or living room, Mr. John Wagler. Wags, what's going on, man? Well, it's actually all the same, the kitchen, living room, dining room. We are reaping the consequences of the open floor plan um, during this pandemic and no extra rooms for office space. And um, yeah, I will say this, Matt, I've worn jeans four out of the last five days. Mm-hmm. So that's got to be some sort of, I don't know, record for during this whole <laughs> during this whole thing i have only stayed in sweatpants two days oh wow only twice but i was talking with somebody the other day uh about like house clothes this idea of like comfy house clothes yeah. and i realized that i just don't understand it it's not a thing that i i don't know if it's like from growing up like punks are very into how they look like the, with the mohawks and the chains and stuff and they like sleep in that stuff so they don't have to get ready in the morning so i don't know if it's like residual from that of just like I live in jeans and a t-shirt and a black hoodie. <laughs> no, I get like, that. Sweatpants, man. They're great. And they're awesome. I, I this is the first time in my life I wish I had multiple pair. <laughs> so Okay, but we're not here to talk about sweatpants, though maybe we should (laughs) in an episode on sweatpants. We are here um, with a very special guest. Um, We're here with Christian counselor um, Kimberly Best Johnson. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to do that again. (laughs) My my microphone cut out. We are here with Christian counselor... um, from the Visions Counseling Center right here in Richmond, Virginia. Um, She is a licensed professional counselor and our esteemed guest today. It's Kimberly Best Johnson. Kimberly, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Good, good. That's awesome to hear. You um, you and the family and the the relatively new puppy are faring okay during this wild uh, time? We are all doing well. I am am the one introvert in a household full of extroverted men. And a puppy that's extrovert. So, yeah, I'm trying to trying to keep everyone content being indoors and trying to use creativity. So, just trying to explain to them how you could possibly be thriving right now. Oh, because of secretly you kind of are. <laughs> I do feel like we've reached. Right here. This yeah, is my crew. I feel like we've reached the stage though where both introverts and extroverts are now struggling, right? Like in some yeah. way, like, like a- I would, for the first time in my life, I would hug a stranger. <laughs> um, cool. Well, so Kimberly, we wanted to have you on today um, to kind of do a little uh, uh, quick episode on mental health. It's something that I think is on everyone's mind um, during this crazy time, whether they realize it or not. Um, and it's something that we have sort of touched on here and there, um, but never done a, you know, never devoted a full episode to. So we thought, um, we should have a professional on to actually speak into it instead of me and John just doing the thing that we do sometimes where we pretend like we know about stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, thanks so much. Tell us, uh, a little bit about, um, just kind of your background and counseling, how you got into it and, um, kind of what kind of counseling, you know, you, you specialize in. Okay. So I actually got into counseling after 22 years in banking. 
um, in financial management. So selling securities and loans and managing people. And I recognize um, towards the, the end of several bank mergers that the part that I enjoyed the most was really helping people find solutions to their problems. And when you have money problems and you look at a person's bank account and you hear about their their habits, their goals, their ambitions, their frustrations, and and that was a part that I really enjoyed as well as developing people. And I didn't really like the rest of what banking had become. So I decided to change career. So this is actually a second career for me. And in particular, Christian counseling, um, there was something that we were going through in, in my family system and I needed to get ADHD testing. And I was really having a hard time because I wanted to find someone that was a believer that understood kind of like my facing us, but that also that can kind of help help us to deal with what we were dealing with. And um, we really had a hard time finding someone. I'd call around and there were counselors on my insurance panel. When I called the office and asked whether or not they were a believer, some were even offended. Mm. And I thought, this is, this is insane. And so actually I decided to do something about it. I find that happens a lot whenever there's a need out there in the market and it's like, why isn't someone doing it? And it's like, note to self, maybe you're supposed to be the one that, that provides the solution. So that's what I did. Back to grad school, residency, and here I am. So Visions is, although we see people with, regardless of their faith, um, not everyone comes to us and wants to integrate their Christian faith, but most people do. That's cool. So what, um, uh, so yeah, it's not a secret on the podcast that I have, uh, as, as Wags mentioned when we were off mic, uh, been in therapy for most of my life, really. I think I started at 14 or 15 years old and, um, I grew up in Florida and I had kind of a journey when I moved up here cause I had had the same counselor and then suddenly I was having to find a new one. So I went through a similar thing, um, and actually had better luck with, uh, a not sort of a non-belief based counselor. However, um, I ended up when sort of the advent of FaceTime became a thing, I ended up reaching back out to the guy that I had counseled with as a kid. And now I see him again and he's a, a Methodist minister. So he's a, a faith based counselor. So I definitely have some thoughts on the differences between the two, but for you both in it now and also as you were exploring it, what do you find is like a real um, difference between um, uh, therapists that incorporate their faith and ones that don't? It really is going to be based on the therapist that you're working with. I'm finding there are lots of people who are, who are Christian, you know, they integrate their faith in their life. However, for various reasons, they don't show up that way in their profession. Um, some don't feel comfortable with prayer. Um, some are not, um, have not studied the word to be able to know how to apply it to situations. So, you know, I guess various reasons. So I, I start conversations with people that even identify as Christians to find out for one, what they're looking for. There's some that specifically come in and they, they have their own idea about what they think Christian counseling is, and I don't want it to be a barrier. So I find out what's helpful to them, what practices they have, um, and make sure that I'm, I'm going from what they want and less about my views and my, my thoughts. And also we know just within the, the Christian faith, there are so many different 
um, practices and understandings, and we just never want our faith to be a stumbling block. So I, I guess that's a long, a long way around that that um, question that you asked. And you really find that out in your first couple of sessions, you know, the connection that you have with your therapist to see whether or not it's someone that you feel like, you know, can, can help you. You learn that kind of early on with the connection. Um, so I have a question about the ADHD thing. Um, so I uh, have a, had an adult ADHD diagnosis. So it wasn't until I was in my twenties, um, that I received it and I found it to be very helpful, but it also, that specific diagnosis, um, comes along with, you know, a lot of the time recommendation of medication or the use of, of medicine to help temper it. Do you, I think a common misconception of the difference between quote unquote secular counseling and Christian counseling is that Christian counseling is less medicine based. Do you find that to be true? It's going to depend on the therapist. I can tell you my view, if you'd like to know. Yeah, sure. Um, Back when we were, as our family, you know, um, struggling with that saying, what do we do with something that, you know, clearly the rest of the world identified as ADHD and just trying to grapple with what does that mean? Because some of the things that... um, the DSM-5, which is what therapists use to um, to diagnose, look at, are also the person's strengths. It's what makes life exciting, that makes them full of energy and full of creativity. And, and so you have to kind of look at um, to what degree those same strengths have become hindrances that are impacting, impacting their functioning, that perhaps um, having poor impulse control or not being able to stay on task or to organize to do long range planning is frustrating them, impacting their relationships and their ability to prosper in the the very thing that God gave them as a gift. So I first work with them to try to develop strategies to see what, what capacities are there. Do they have the ability to form routines? Are they at the place where they're open and receptive to doing something different? You know, will they submit to accountability that's often needed, you know, um, and not get offended, you know, just to see how open they are to doing things differently. And then also encouraging them to have regular communications with their primary care physician, not necessarily for medication, but just to have them as part of the treatment team. Um, Oftentimes, if someone is dealing with um, the hyperactive um, part of ADHD, they perhaps may have difficulty sleeping, which may impact their mood. So it's, you know, it's really finding out to what degree what they're experiencing is causing them problems. And we try to flesh out and skill build and um, just pour them in with supports um, and accountability group to help them. And But if they're not able to do that, or if they do that and are not able to get the functioning that they need, there's other things. You know, we first try to start off with you know, cleaning up the nutrition and getting out the um, processed foods, which of course nobody ever wants to do. Mm. (laughs) Whenever wants to do that or or exercise and, you know, all of those things like, you know, get the alcohol and substances out of your life. So if they can do all that and they still are experiencing challenges, then it's no need in struggling. Uh, I have them to double back to their primary physician and, and talk about 
perhaps when you've done everything that you can do, um, don't struggle. So that's kind of the approach that I that I take. Do you find that with the, the people you see that that they're more apt to just want the quick fix or do a large chunk of people like see the importance of, you know, the dietary changes, the exercise, the skill building that you're talking about just as a whole, how does that, in terms of what you see, what do you find to be the majority of people? Well, there's, it's probably split kind of evenly. Um, especially in the faith community, you have some that are, are just medication adverse. They they look at it as um, an indictment on their faith. They look at it as a sign of weakness, um, of, of quitting or giving up, or that something is wrong with them and they're flawed. So I really first start to to deal with their image of their self, you know, and kind of do that that work because um, quite honestly, no one really thinks about that when it comes to medication for other other conditions. And ADHD in particular has, has been widely misunderstood. It's actually a neurodevelopmental disorder. So it's not like a disorder that perhaps is, is triggered or caused because of a life experience and perhaps not knowing how to, how to cope with things. It has to do with how their, their brain has developed. And if there's things that someone needs to address these conditions, why wouldn't you? be open and receptive to everything that you can do because it's probably going to be something that you're going to going to have to deal with for the rest of your life. And so it's, it's not something necessarily where it's like a disease that you can expect to, to get a, um, a healing, a healing in particular one. Um, ADHD is one of those um, and autism, you know, those developmental disorders are are ones that you you just really have to have to recognize that you have the right understanding of what you're working with. And um, for for decades, especially when you talk about someone that has a, a diagnosis in adulthood, have perhaps had a, an entire life of being frustrated in their home, of being misunderstood, um, their their behaviors being labeled as irresponsible, lazy, you know, all of these negative things. And over a period of time, some people have actually started to believe them. And that the cost that that has, you know, taken on a person um, maybe makes them less open and receptive to, to actually getting help. And then you have some people that maybe in their, their, you know, their life and their family system, maybe there's others that have mental health challenges where they're open to medication and they're open to it and receptive to it. So it really, I think really has to do more of that person's belief and interpretation about what they're experiencing and how open and receptive they are to medication or alternative remedies like aromatherapy, you know, some, there are lots of things, not only nutrition and exercise, but just other things that you can do to address the things that we're dealing with in life. With um, what we're seeing now, obviously, as the weeks pile on uh, with everything with the coronavirus and everything, um, what are you seeing or what are you experiencing as a counselor or hearing from some of the people that you see on a regular basis? Is there an uptick in certain things or is there um, are there things that you're 
you're seeing that are revealing things about maybe just people in general? Most definitely. When there's issues that were already there that maybe people have developed coping strategies or lifestyles to avoid, they now no longer have that luxury. For example, husband and wives perhaps that are having some strain in their relationship where maybe one had a traveling job, got to be super busy and super important and out of the home most of the time. And so with traveling, stopped and working at home, it causes them to have to deal with the things that they had a legitimate reason to kind of escape. And so marriage counseling, which was on the back burner is now on the forefront because guess what? The kids are home too. And although there may be one spouse that's, um, you know, had to deal with the the kids and managing the household um, that's perhaps been asking for help forever and never getting it. Now it's again to the forefront. So those type of challenges, uh, mostly, mostly with people working at home and having children, um, the kids are having problems, the spouses are having problems, you know, and, and everyone just needs some help. What do you, so earlier, um, you said something that stuck with me when you mentioned like, we don't want our faith to be a stumbling block in our mental and emotional health. What, what is an area that from your experience, you see that happening, um, with people of faith where, where their either their theology or their biblical interpretation or their, just their belief, the way their, their belief is structured is actually somehow inhibiting, um, them from, flourishing or living their fullest sort of emotionally healthy life? Sure. Uh, Well, let's start with um, generational curses. Lots of people, when they see generationally, perhaps people have dealt with certain situations in their family, like depression or um, ADHD or um, drug addiction or um, abuse sexual abuse, infidelity, things that they've seen kind of run through their family systems. Um, Sometimes people feel powerless and helpless to do anything other than experience what they're experiencing. And so again, we work with that mindset and that belief system because that's just not true. You know, there's, um, so there's an opportunity there to be able to, to share truth about that. You know, there's oftentimes things that we consider as generational curses that really are just generational patterns of dealing with things that just seem so normal because you see it in your parents, maybe your grandparents, maybe they've experienced it. So by first challenging that as um, not truth, you may see things and they may be factual. You're not making it up. You've seen these things run through your families, but that does not mean that you're powerless to do anything about it. Um, so kind of dispelling some of those myths and some of the other things where you have people that um, believe that if they pray only and they have not been healed, then somehow it's the will of God for them. So, you know, where they give permission to deal with that, we deal with it. And spend a lot of time with um, what we call cognitive behavioral therapy, when you're actually challenging negative, unhealthy belief systems or thoughts, 
and learning how to replace them with more positive, hopeful, um, reality-based thinking that can actually um, change the way that they feel and their behaviors. So that's um, a new thought, a new way of approaching things, but it gives people hope, you know, and um, whether a person is someone of faith or not, people recognize hope. It's universal. So sometimes we'll deal with that, you know, um, if, if they're not a Christian where you can't pull out, you know, scripture and because that's not where they, how they understand um, the world around them, or perhaps they have a, a faith. You know, there's some people that um, I counsel that are Hindu, Buddhist, Jewish, agnostic, and all different um, ways of looking at life, but they all recognize hope. And so I, I help them to see areas in their thinking where they have been hope, feeling hopeless and help them to connect with hope um, because it's the opposite of depression. When you have hope, then you have the opportunity for peace and joy. So we try to get on the other, other end of that, that spectrum. So um, there's one thing that I've, I've developed over the course of, of my clinical work has been you know, not to have my belief system to rise up to the degree that it's um, that it's it's shaping or directing a way a person thinks about things or views things, um, but really being gentle and patient and, and allowing Holy Spirit to give me discernment on how to approach situations, um, so that it it ministers to that person and helps them to be able to to move forward and not feel judged. Oh, that's another big one. People feel judged. If they are in the middle of something that they um, have considered as sin or because I'm a Christian counselor, they think they have an image of me that I might judge them because of their experience, perhaps, with dealing with Christians. And, you know, we deal with that. I don't like pink elephants, so I like to talk about them. I'm like, I know we see these pink elephants. Let's talk about them mm-hmm. <laughs> because I know that they're there. And to the degree that we can get them out there, we can also address them and challenge them. I just wanted to, you know, you brought the generational curses thing. And just for maybe someone who's listening that might be wondering what in the world does that mean? And um, it's fine. It's totally fine. Like I, I think probably a portion of our listeners probably have heard that before and everything. But you know, biblically, if you're if you're raised in church for any length of time, you will come across this phrasing of the generational curses because part of it is from the Old Testament and that things can get passed down. But I think one of the things that typically happens theologically within the church world is that they use that either A, as an excuse, like meaning my family has always done this, this has been part of the deal, you know, or B, they use it as a way to condemn somebody. And, um, and so where the reality is, is when you begin to see the generational curses that are spoken of, it has a lot to do with um, either one, repetitive behavior throughout generations that have just been accepted, or two, it has been from a decision that let's just say a great grandfather made that was so big it sent a 
it sent it sent a generation of people down a path, whether that was because I don't know, they were once really wealthy and they made a horrible decision, you know, like whatever, and it sent them down a whole different path. And so so if you're listening to this and wondering what in the world a generational curse is, it it doesn't necessarily mean that just because something happened, you're automatically cursed. And then that that's what the Bible says. There's some there's some layers to how that begins to happen within its context. And dispelling that. You yeah. know, it's it's good for them to talk about the things that the way that they view things so that you can help them so it's not a limiting belief. Yeah. Yep. Um so you talk about or you know, you kind of brought up judgment. Um, and I think that that, I know for me, um, as somebody who struggled with mental health and, um, now being in church leadership and being very open about it, I hear from a lot of people, um, or I, I tend to hear from a majority of uh, the people that I do hear from, um, that want to sort of commiserate with me like, oh, you know, you're really open about your depression or your anxiety, your ADHD. So like, I have this too. And what I've what I've experienced and what I've heard from a lot of people is that sort of feeling of sometimes it's harsh, sometimes it's like really gentle, but it's that judgment of, well, you're not praying hard enough, like you're not giving this over to God, you're not doing X, Y, Z. And um, I think in some instances, again, in my, my own life and in the lives of folks I've talked to, in some instances that's true. And then in some instances, it's like, mm, my chemicals are not working well right now. <laughs> um, but it's hard to tell the difference. Like, it's hard to tell the difference between you're making bad choices sometimes and, um, and no, you're, you need to talk this through with somebody or maybe even need some sort of medical assistance. So for you, what is a way, like if you could kind of implant uh, a new idea into all church leadership across capital T, capital C, the church. Um, what's something that you would recommend to them to not, uh, to combat this, to combat this idea that you are communicating to people with mental health issues in your congregation, probably accidentally you are communicating like you're not trying hard enough. You're not praying hard enough. You're not spending enough quiet time. You're not doing enough Bible study. Um, what's a way that sort of like, we can combat that from the ground. Sure. To, to share the truth and then don't speak to an individual's way that they are managing and integrating the truth that they hear in their everyday life because everyone's capacities are different. There's not a one size fit all, right? What's easy for me may not be easy for you and vice versa. And so I think to the degree that we can catch ourselves offending other people that's right there an open door that we're not being empathetic we're not um, doing it the way that jesus did it he would share the truth you know everything i've read he's he'll share the truth he'll let a person know the direction that they should go and if it were something that they felt he felt like they were often he would address it and he'd leave it alone and leave it up to the person to kind of work through their decision um, because we, we don't know everyone's capacity. That's kind of like um, as a parent, you have children that have different um, personalities. They have different um, makeups, you know, um, we're just all very different. So you can't apply what worked for one person to the next. 
and we do that in, in other layers of, of, um, of ministry and, and leadership in corporate America as well. You know, there's no one size fit all. You share the expectations. Um, you're patient with people, being respectful, recognizing their, their strengths and their limitations, and you work to try to support them. And anything other than that is um, not helpful. I think that's one of the toughest parts of leadership. And, um, you know, it's one thing when you're maybe just dealing with yourself or a very close grouping of people. But, you know, I've often thought, um, you know, of our own staff and how I used to think, let's just say 10 years ago, compared to how I think now, even around this topic of emotional health and and mental health and everything. And um, I've always been part of it is just because how I was raised and seeing um, my mom was a farmer and um, had to go through like really tough stuff and had to raise three boys on her own and later got, you know, remarried to a great guy. Um, But he was a farmer too. And and they had just this tough kind of element to them that their parents came over on the, or my mom's, grandparents came over on the boat from Italy my dad's grandparents came over from Germany and they had to like fight for everything they had and and so there was just like a element of you just suck it up and <laughs> the discussion of emotional health or if you're feeling down it just means like you're more on the weak side right like and so where's your grit where's your and that was like my whole life till till honestly probably I would say about 10 years ago I started studying a little bit more on it and being more aware. And even now um, on our staff is um, we do have a mixture of people on our staff. And, um, and it's always like what I've found for me personally has been trying to figure out that balance. And sometimes I just have to ask Matt, you know, or maybe someone else on our staff. And um, because my, if left to my own vices, I'm always going to lean grit and I was going to lean suck it up. I mean, like, that's just, that's how, where I'm at personally. So like, that's where I am, but it's been super beneficial. And even hearing you share, like how important it is that people do have different capacities and people do hear, like see things and feel things differently and, and all of that. And it's hard even in leadership to like keep that balance where it should be. And Matt's been very good, even with me being honest about saying at moments being like, I'm not sure where I should, <laughs> where I should be here. Like, I'm not sure. Is this like, I just got to sit in this for a little while, or this is where I need to push. And then even those moments, I'm like, now I've just learned to be like, well, I'm just going to let him, I'm not going to push. Like, he, <laughs> you know, like I just want to let him, I'll be here to talk it out with him, and, and maybe it can help maybe perspective or focus, but I'm not going to like, give him a suck it up talk, you know? And, and so, um, that's been super helpful. Do you, for this time period for, for people, whether they're leaders or they, you know, they personally are going through stuff. Do you have like practical things that folks should, I don't know, is there like a, a way to check yourself? I hate when I say that, you almost want to say wreck yourself. Right? <laughs> That's like inherently right. But so like, there's that you a, don't wreck yourself. Correct. Like, but like, is, are there like pra- very practical things that people can do to help just check themselves throughout in particular a time, like what we're going through? Sure. One of the checking in with themselves, just to making sure that they're well. And it sounds really silly to, you know, ask yourself if you're well, but if you actually got quiet, 
cut off all the noise, get, get somewhere where you can be still and ask yourself, am I well? And wait for a response because for one, your body will let you know if it's tired, your body will let you know if it's, if it's achy, um, it'll let you know because you may have tension in your shoulders. You may have headaches asking what's causing it. It knows, and you know, there's, there's such wisdom stored right there within yourself. You know, what's bothering you? Um, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? How are you handling it? We, we do that to other people, you know, pick up the phone, checking in on you, how you doing, but how often do we do that with ourselves? And if everyone does that, what they do is they bring a greater capacity to the situation because for one, they have self-awareness. And with that self-awareness, they can start attending to it. So if, you, if you're finding that you're having pains, there's lots of people having pains, right? Increased migraines, tension, um, tired because our sleep routines and everything are, are thrown off. Coming up with solutions. What is it that I need to do to be able to get a better rest? If you wait for an answer, I guarantee you, you're going to start talking about putting that cell phone down. You're going to talk about cutting off the news. You're going to talk about limiting your time on Netflix, Hulu, you know, Prime movies, you know, all the things that we know that we're doing that's um, sucking the time away from perhaps other things that um, could be a little more beneficial. So that's probably the first step. And then recognizing the need for a schedule is another huge thing. It sounds so small, but it's a huge undertaking for one to get yourself to commit to a schedule, you know, where you may not have the same, you know, wake up time. You know, some people don't have the same work, work hours. Some people are actually having to get up and leave and nothing really has, has changed. But for the people that are, have a little bit more flexibility, they can let that flexibility hurt them. So I recommend early on, let's talk about your routines. Let's talk about your wake up time. Are you getting up and getting dressed? I like how you were saying earlier about the, this, you know, there's a whole emergence of um, sweatpants. But also talk to them about, you know, every once in a while, put on the clothes that you normally wear to work because it can be a, you know, a truth teller. You know, some people are picking up weight while they're at home in those sweatpants or in their PJs and getting really comfortable. So just, you know, regularly checking in with yourself and your kids, you know, it's more than just keeping them quiet and out of your hair so you can, you know, continue to do life, you know, as, as normal as possible. Their life has been thrown off as well. You know, make it asking them, how are they doing? You know, giving them the opportunity to connect with some of their friends, you know, helping them to create structure and routine. And then when you put all that together in the context of a family, how can I help you? What's on your plate? How are you doing? How can we work together? Um, like this morning, I've got um, an interview. It's being recorded. I'm going to need everyone to do something different. <laughs> it's that communication and respecting each other so that we can all function well. Everyone can get their needs met um, and agreeing to um, perhaps eating lunch together, breakfasts together, you know, just trying to create some type of um, new norm, recognizing it's probably not going to be the way it used to be and throwing that out the door, not letting it be something that um, causes additional anxiety as you try to fight for something that's long gone. And that's your, your the normalcy. That's probably the, the number 
number of things that people that can do, they can do to actually um, fare well. And it works particularly well for people who have experienced trauma or that have mental health challenges. Throwing off those routines are impacting them in ways that they don't even realize. Because with routines, there's a sense of normalcy. Um, in some ways, it gives a false illusion of control. But that can be someone's coping strategy for the time being, right? Um, if, it, if it's a healthy thing, you know, you want to keep it going. We, we can deal with it later once we get back to um, being able to be out of our homes and, you know, having a different set of circumstances and what we're dealing with. But for right now, it's just making sure that whatever we do, that we're, we are doing it in a way that's healthy. Smart, stopping smoking. When you have stress and anxiety, if people are, have been prone to um, smoke cigarettes, smoke marijuana, you know, other drugs or vape, you know, those are things that, you know, we're talking to them about, what can you do instead? What are some other things you can do? Getting out, taking a walk, exercise. And yes, we know your gym's closed, but lots of programs are offering online exercise and YouTube is full of them. Beachbody on demand, getting out, riding your bike, walking your dog. You know, there's plenty of things that you can do. So wherever there, there seems to be a limitation, you just got to got a problem solve and brainstorm on the hopeful side and you'll find other options. Um, creating um, healthy snacks is something else that I've been talking to people about because with the uh, pantry full and refrigerator full, which lots of people that's, you know, that's a thing. They fill their home up with things that are comfortable, but that can also be problematic. You know, maybe not for now, but give it a little bit of time and it'll catch up on you. So some families are even instituting like baskets of, of snacks so that the kids and the, you know, the, the family in general will have their limit. So you're not just eating. When you're bored, deal with it. Find something to cure the boredom. When you're feeling lonely, find a way to connect. You know, when you're feeling stress, you know, we talk about deep breathing, but I mean, it actually has merit. You know, breathing in your nose like you're smelling a, um, a fragrant flower or a rose, holding it in for three seconds and blowing it out like you're blowing a candle. You do that a couple times before you respond, you're, you're going to find instantly calm enters the whole situation and you have increased capacity. So there's lots of practical things that people can do that can make a, a meaningful difference and recognize that if you have someone in your life that you already know has mental health challenges, then you're going to have to be even more patient, gentle and kind not to be easily offended, hardly ever noticing when others do it wrong. You know, it's a familiar scripture, but that works. And we need more of that now. Um, listening to people's stories, um, just finding ways to connect and to, to come up with solutions rather than judge. Don't let offense, um, being annoyed and frustrated um, be the first thing. If it is the first thing, challenge it and make sure that you end with um, a connection. And then your church community. There's so many, there's so much out there that you can do to fill yourself up with positivity, you know, guarding your, guarding your exposures, you know, minimizing the time that you're around toxic people, toxic messages and filling yourself up with um, what's hopeful, um, changing your playlist, creating a playlist with lyrics and melodies and, and, um, Harmony that uplift you that, you know, so there's so many things that you can do. That's good. 
Well, we're um, going to wrap it up here in a minute. Um, uh, Wags, did you have, I had one more question. Did you have any other thoughts? Okay. Um, so my sort of last question um, is around what I'm seeing are not quite competing narratives, but two different perspectives that are sort of starting to emerge as this thing gets deeper in. Um, and one of them is sort of give yourself space to mourn like the it's okay for lack of a better phrase it's okay to not be okay right now because things are crazy and then the other one is something along the lines of um you know this is gonna this will be over soon or not this will be over soon but this will be over one day everything's gonna be fine kind of a little bit more of a buck up mentality um, I've just been reading different articles on those two different sort of perspectives. For us as Christians, um, I think sometimes, I know I definitely get confused, and I think a lot of us kind of get confused because we have these two prescriptions in the New Testament, right? We have like mourn with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, and and Jesus saying, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, or looking at Mary and saying, you know, mourn, cry for your people, but don't cry for me. Um and then there's also sort of uh, don't worry about today. Like tomorrow has its own worries. Like the birds are not worried. The flowers are not worried. You should not worry. How, in your opinion, do you see Christians both helping themselves and helping their brothers and sisters strike that balance between having joy that goes beyond the circumstance but also allowing themselves space to feel sadness or to mourn? Whether we give ourselves space or not, we're feeling it. It's just whether or not we're going underground with it because we feel like we're going to be judged or we have those messages um, either around us that we're hearing now or from childhood, like um, Pastor Wagler was saying, you know, we're kind of the, the toughest. So people have an original way of looking at things. But the important thing is there's another way to approach things. And what I tell my patients is if you ever recognize that you are feeling anything negative, um, whether it's sadness, anxiety, anger, shame, like any of those negative emotions, or you have maladaptive behaviors where maybe you're, you're having um, um, aggression or um, cutting behavior, suicidal ideations, you know, um, addictions negative panic, nightmares, like all the negative stuff that you see, um, to, to recognize that um, there's a better way. And so to, to understand where those are coming from and challenging those thoughts and beliefs are the beginning of, of turning things around. You know, the moment you start challenging whatever's causing those negative experiences and look for the truth, and sometimes the truth is found in scripture, but there's also other examples of truth that's right there in your, in your own life. For example, um, for someone to be able to say, when Christ says, you know, not to be concerned about all of the things that you're going to eat and wear and all those things that tomorrow is going to take care of itself. Um, when we look back over our life, we have that scripture, but we also have other points and references of times in our life where we have been shut down, paralyzed with worry. And we have the benefit now of having lived, lived through that and see that things really do work out, that there is provision there where you where things look dismal and where there maybe have been, you know, death, disease, you still will see opportunity for hope and restoration. So 
but you got to stop and to look for those examples. So you can find them in scripture, but you can also find them in your own life. You can find them in the lives of those that you're connected to, whether it's your family, friends, your coworkers, um, your grandparents, you know, people that perhaps have, have passed. There's always examples of things that are mentioned in scripture. They have been lived out before, and that's how we also know that they're true. So helping people to recognize it's okay to have an original way of looking at things if it's causing problems. And that's the biggest thing. Oftentimes we don't identify the problems that we're experiencing as having a root in the way that we're looking at things in our belief system. And that's probably one of the, the earlier things that we cover in counseling is recognizing those limiting beliefs are causing the problems, not the people. So when you hear in, in the word that, you know, that our battle is not with flesh and, and blood, like that's a, that's a, a hard thing because we're used to like blaming people, blaming situations. But sometimes, you know, you can back it up and there's a different perspective and, and you can find a way to start to experience um, something different in your life immediately. Awesome. Well, thanks. That's a word. Thank you, Kimberly. I appreciate it. Um, well, uh, thanks to Kimberly for being on uh, with us and, and spending some time talking through this. And thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, if you have questions, comments, concerns, quips, or quotes, you can email them to stay curious at hillcityrva.com. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram at, at uh, instagram.com slash hillcitypod or on Twitter at twitter.com slash hill. I'm sorry, stay curious cast and stay curious pod. I think I said Hill City for both of them. Um, And if you are uh, somebody who is struggling with um, mental health or you feel like um, you need some help in that area, don't be afraid to reach out. You can um, look up uh, Visions here in Richmond. You can can email Stay Curious if that's something that you want to do. Just don't... um, you know, don't suffer unduly, um, and always reach out to somebody and be honest. Um, again, thanks for listening. And until next time, make sure to stay curious.